Hello, hello, beautiful soul. Welcome to my mommy's podcast. Hello, hello, beautiful souls, and welcome back to another episode of Wabi Sabi Wellness. My name is Jeanette, and I'm jazzed that you have joined me here today. Today's episode will be an interview with Emily the Medium, which I am so excited to have you all listen to. But before we get into it, let's go over the moon transits of the week and the tarot card I have pulled for us this week. The first moon transit we're going to talk about happens on Tuesday, October 3rd at 12.03 a.m. Central, when the moon will shift into Gemini and stay there until 7.32 a.m. Central on Thursday, October 5th. While the moon is here, it is our time to be social. I know this transit is happening during the week, but be open to dinner with friends or even just a long phone chat while you walk. The other thing you can expect during this transit is a lot of ideas, with a caveat that these ideas might come up in a chaotic mess. That's okay though, they're still super valuable downloads for you to have. Write them down and save them for later. Perhaps during the Virgo moon transit later, they will make way more sense. On Thursday, October 5th at 7.32 a.m. Central, the moon will then shift into Cancer and stay there until 6.25 p.m. Central on Saturday, October 7th. While the moon is here, you can expect to be all up in your feels. Moon and Cancer transits can invoke a lot of emotions, which make it a great time to journal, meditate, or even pull cards for yourself. This is a time to honor your feelings. This is also the time of the month where I suggest you take extra care of yourself. With Cancer being the matriarch of the zodiac, it's time to do some self-care. What part of you is feeling empty, and how can you refill your own cup? Lastly, on Saturday, October 7th at 6.25 p.m. Central, the moon will shift into Leo and stay there until 7.02 a.m. Central on Tuesday, October 10th. If we've adequately filled our cup in the previous transit, we are ready to shine. This is the time of the month to let your true self show. Wear a fun outfit, practice your stand a bit, and be as authentic as you possibly can. Moon and Leo can also influence us to give to others, so it's a great time to either volunteer your time or to hype your homies up. And for the tarot card of the week, I have pulled the Five of Cups. I love the Five of Cups. The Five of Cups is about walking away from what no longer serves you. And as we are reflecting on the full moon energy from last week, this is a great time for you to say no to what is no longer good for you. And it can be something that might seem good on paper, but in your heart, you know is not for you. So there we have it. Without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Welcome, Emily the Medium. Hi, Emily. I'm so, so, so excited to chat with you. Um, so I'm going to start off with the same question that I ask everyone. Who are you and what do you do? Yeah, thank you. Jeanette, right? That's why I'm saying yes. it correctly, right? Okay, amazing. Um, thank you, Jeanette, for having me. I'm so happy to be on your podcast. Um, and I always like to answer, you know, the who are you question a little bit differently. So we'll, we'll roll with it. Um, my name is Emily, Emily Green, um, professionally known as Emily the Medium. And I am a psychic medium. I guess that's the most simplistic term that I could use to describe myself and my work. Um, I also consider myself to be, you know, a a spiritual um, student and sometimes teacher um, and a spirit baby medium. I do a lot of work with with the energies of incoming children and souls, um, among all different kinds of things. Another part of what I do is um, support people in developing their intuition and their psychic abilities and so on and so forth. So I wear a couple different hats within the the spiritual kind of arena but that's the that's the gist of it fantastic so I read your book and in your book you talk about your journey to where you are today and how it involved you having to hide a lot of parts of yourself especially when you were younger can you talk about when you decided to just like be true to yourself and your gifts yeah that's a great question um you're correct. I spent 
a lot of the first, really the first 20 years of my life um, hiding and taking on different identities and kind of chameleoning myself or metamorphosizing myself to um, other people's identities around me, really. You know, I was kind of like, oh, if I pretend to be like this person, then maybe I'll be loved and accepted or maybe I'll feel normal or maybe I won't feel as different. And so that went on for a long time until eventually as anyone who, who has been there knows it's exhausting. I mean, pretending to be somebody that you aren't and pretending to be an energy or take on an identity that really just is not your, your truest essence is the most tiring soul, uh, like just, it's the most tiring thing ever. And so I just kind of got tired of it and realized that I didn't want to live in the world anymore, um, not knowing who I really was and what I was really here to do and not do it. Like I wanted to do what I came here to do and understand who I actually was at my core. And so I kind of honestly, this is, and this is how many things in my life have gone. I just woke up one day and I decided that I didn't want to do that anymore. And it, it kind of was actually very sudden for me like that. I'm a very sort of black and white type person. I was like, okay, I'm not doing that anymore. And I just did it. I just, you know, started to kind of say, okay, I know there's something here. I know that there's a part, there's parts of me that I haven't really gotten the chance to fully explore. And I'm ready to do that now. And thus began sort of the path of my spiritual awakening. And um, yeah, that's how that's how it happened. I literally just decided one day I was like, I'm tired. I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's your rising sign? I'm just curious with the black and white. <laughs> Aries. I'm Aries. Aries rising. Yeah. Okay. That kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'm not doing that. Aries rising. I have a Gemini moon, Sagittarius sun, um, lots of Sagittarius though. Um, so it was physically painful for me to not be myself. It was. Yeah. Um, I had to, you know, and now it's like, you know, I'm 10 years in and I'm like, this is great. I can't believe I ever lived that way for 20 years of my life. So that's fantastic. I love yeah. that. Um, so your book, A Cosmic Bond, is just really, it's so revolutionary. I haven't seen many books like it. And when I was pregnant the first time around, I I scoured the bookshelves for something similar and it just wasn't there. So where did you get the seed for the idea of the book? And what was the writing process like for you? Oh, thank you for saying that. Wow. And I agree with you. I also, um, you know, I'm not yet a mother, but I also felt like I read lots of spiritual books. Maybe it's the Sagittarius in me. It's definitely the Sagittarius in me. Um, and you're right. I also felt like there wasn't really what I was hoping to have kind of represented in the spaces surrounding conception and, um, you know, preconception communication and pregnancy and birth that I just didn't feel like I could really find it. Or if I did find it, you know, it was sort of almost like there's there was only kind of like one other book on the market that a lot of people were aware of. And so I was sort of like, I want to bring in my own version um, of, of, of these topics. And so that's sort of where it came from was my me also recognizing hey there's something here but then another part of it was really um so there was that kind of intellectual logical part of just recognizing hey i really feel like this could be something that's needed but the other part of it was i just started to get you know tapped on my shoulder intuitively like hey it's time for you to write a book soon it's time for you to write a book soon and you know i've talked about before i really didn't think that the book this book that i wrote a cosmic bond which is all about preconception and communication with the energies of your children and so on 
um, I really had no, this was just not even in my consciousness that this would be the first book that I wrote. I thought that I would write something else first. I really did. I thought it would be some sort of book on, you know, grief or healing from grief from a spiritual perspective or spiritual awakening. Even I never thought that it would be this. And I think it's a good testament. This experience for me was just a good reminder of sort of like projects and creative creations really will, they'll, they'll find you and they'll tell you when they're ready to be worked on rather than me kind of being like, I'm going to write a book about this. Um, Which not to say that people can't get to that person, get to that point without that sort of feeling. But for me, it was really sort of like, you need to write this book and you need to write it starting in March, 2023, sorry, 2022. Um, And so I was like, okay, I will do that. And so I basically, and I, you know, I trust myself and I trust my, my channel enough to, to know, okay, there's something to this and I have to kind of follow instructions to, so to speak, in a really playful way. Um, and just sort of started it to be honest with you, you know, I love writing. I always have, I, you know, joke that I have like 50 half written books on my old computer from when I was growing up, but I found the, the book writing process itself actually incredibly challenging. Um, it was like, I was trying to pull this sort of, um, this energy down for, I could feel this energy of what the book wanted to be. And it, every day it felt like I was just trying to kind of pull that down and try to put that into words in the best way possible. And that's not always easy. If you've ever kind of, you know, worked with an energy and tried to translate it, it's not always like smooth and fun. It's sort of like, did I choose the right word for this? Or this sentence feels really clunky and awkward, or it just, there was, it, it was not always, um, the easiest process for me. So it was definitely like a humbling moment where it was sort of almost like, I honestly thought writing a book would be like easy. I'd be done in six months, like bing, bang, boom, it'll be good. And that just didn't happen that way. And so it was, but it was, it was definitely a very humbling, um, uh, learning experience writing the book for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I completely understand that for some reason, it's so much easier for me to speak words than it is to like write them out. Yeah. So same, same here. I just, and I, exactly. And I always thought it was the other way around, which is a weird thing. I always thought it was easier for me to write out things rather than speak them. And then I think when I really kind of, um, you know, opened my, my channel, my voice, my, my throat, it's just sort of almost like it's, it's speaking really feels quite easy. And I can get across for the most part, what I'm trying to say very easily, but writing, I don't know, it just, and then putting it together. It took a while. It took a while and lots of good editing. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a great book and I'm glad Thank it's you. out there. Thank you. Um, so besides the parts about what you know, you also have some channeled messages that you have in the book as well. Can you speak to those? Sure. Yeah. So that was another piece of the book that kind of took me by, took me by surprise. In some ways, I didn't think that that would be um, an element to the book. I mean, I love books that have channeled text and elements to them myself. Personally, I think they're fascinating and very enriching. They really kind of... Um, enrich the whole reading experience. That's just my opinion. But I really didn't think that this was going to be um, the case. And so, you know, I was probably about one or two chapters into writing the book. And I was really quite, I wrote the book kind of chronologically, you know, from I really wrote it in the order that it's presented. Um, And that's, that was for a reason. um, Because I really felt like it was this exploration of the spectrum of, you know, from the soul to, you know, the physical world to birth and death and everything in between. Um, So I wanted it to be kind of written in a chronological order, and it was. And so by the time I finished writing chapter two, uh, I started to, same thing, sitting at my computer, and I started to get this tap on my shoulder that basically said, 
that there was this kind of group of energies that wanted to was interested in the project that I was putting forward and wanted to um, basically add in some of their own uh, dialogue to the book. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I guess this is happening. And to be honest with you, I, you know, felt that the channel parts were incredibly uh, eye-opening and very revealing and very beautiful. But I worried, I was kind of like, well, will people understand this the way that I understand this? Are they going to be able to kind of understand or feel like the encoded messages within these channeled chapters? So I was actually kind of like the vote was still out even leading up to the publishing date of like, am I going to keep these in? Am I going to leave them out? Am I going to keep them in? And I, and I ended up keeping them in and I think I'm glad that I did. Um, so yeah, that's how, that's how it happened. And it was only, you know, a couple of little, um, uh, probably about two hours total of these channel messages, with that, which I then transcribed and basically put in what I felt was most relevant to the book and its material uh, and its content. And that's how it happened. Yeah. That's super exciting. So yeah. did these channeled messages just come to you only when you were thinking about the book and sitting down and writing about the book? Basically, it was like, uh, it was almost like somebody saying, hey, I'm going to leave you like, a voicemail and you know in, in this voicemail will be kind of you know what I want you to have in the book that's basically what it was it's basically it was kind of almost like okay I'm sitting down I'm tuning in meditating clearing the space opening up and then it was sort of like almost like I hit play and then I was sort of just transcribing as if, as if I was kind of like reading from a script or reading listening to a voicemail basically does that answer your question it's hard to explain yes no okay. it definitely does <laughs> okay cool awesome yeah. um so when you started pivoting more towards spirit baby readings, did you receive any pushback from others or and was there any mm. like negativity you received? I assume everyone who is in the spiritual world, like I am, like obviously I have people say to me like, hey, you should find church or like X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Did you get any of that? And how do you deal with all of that? Yeah, great question. Find <laughs> church, I know, right? It's yeah, uh, it's like I, I trust me. I, I wasn't, I was there, and I left. So I was like, it wasn't working for me. Um, so I, you know, I'm lucky to say that I've had very little um, over the course of my uh, my practice, very little pushback, which I'm very grateful for. And I know that that's not the case for everyone and you know different different friends of mine have had extreme pushback from from people and various different belief systems and things like this um you know a few things here and there but for the most part to be honest with you i just ref refuse to entertain that i just refuse to entertain that like i'm just like i'm i'm not even going to give it any give if there is any pushback i'm not going to give it any of my energy because i really just feel like I, I think when you're really um, moving in the current of your truth and what feels incredibly true for you and what feels, you know, really um, correct in your system, is that anything that doesn't align with that, not to say that those people are not, not necessarily correct in one way or another, not to say that they're wrong, but anything that just doesn't line up with that, I just, it just kind of bounces right off of me. Um, and also not to say that I'm not open to like healthy discussion and feedback and things like that, because I definitely am, but I'm open to that from a respectful place. And so anytime I did have any pushback that was disrespectful, it was just sort of like bounce, like that's just like return to sender. I'm just not interested, you know? Um, and so I think that having that kind of mindset has maybe paid off in the sense that I don't get a lot of that, luckily. 
um, knock on wood, you know, I, I, I wanted to keep it that way. Um, I want to keep it that way because um, I, I'm really, for the most part, very respectful of people's perspectives and opinions, even if they differ from mine. The only thing is that you know, I don't need you to, I don't need people to come at me and say like, this is why you're wrong, or this is why this is not right, or this is why this is evil, or this is why this is bad or whatever. It's like, that's your perspective. And and we can agree to disagree separately apart from each other, not interacting with each other at all. That's just, that's just how, um, you know, for the most part, I see the, the, that whole thing going. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. It's yeah. always really interesting to me when people who don't at all believe in tarot, like book a session with me, and then I'm like, hmm, this is this is an interesting session. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think there is. It's like funny. It's like there's a curiosity there, right? There, there yeah. is a curiosity. There is like a yearning for something. And I think a lot of the time people who like, yeah, when they don't believe in something like that, but they're booking the session anyway, I think it's like there's something in their soul that is kind of like, I'm curious about this, but I don't know how to admit it, you know, or I like want to learn more about this, but I feel like it's going against everything that I've ever been told or everything that I believe in, right? So it can be quite a... Um, a tricky place for those people to be in but I understand it's like for you as a practitioner you want to work with people who respect your work and respect you and respect the craft and the beauty and the magic and the sacredness of what you're doing um so it's a fine line you know totally it all is yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay let's talk about babies and pregnancy and all the stuff that you're really good at so <laughs> I'm someone who has gone through miscarriages and ectopics and for me personally they've been very very hard Mm -hmm. um, can you speak to maybe why, from your perspective, why those happen? Um, and are the souls that we lose, like, are the babies that I didn't get to carry full term, mm -hmm. did those end up being my daughter? Like, yeah, good question. <laughs> yeah, great question. And first of all, sorry to hear of your of your losses um, and your experience. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, it's always for me, it's always interesting to sort of hold both of like understanding things from a spiritual perspective while also not negating the very real painful physical experience that many women have to go through, um, through processes like that miscarriage and ectopic pregnancy and so on. Um, you know, I think that I, I really define these things in two different categories, both fertility challenges or infertility, as well as things like miscarriage and ectopic pregnancy and, and things like this, is that I think that that there's both physical ways to explain that, um, you know, of what actually is going on within our bodies and with within the, the body of the growing child or the fetus. And then it can also be explained from a spiritual perspective. Um, sometimes there's overlap, sometimes there's a little bit of both. And I think that it's it, it really, really, really 100% does vary from person to person, because sometimes I'll tune into the energy of a soul like you, who uh, there was a miscarriage or an ectopic pregnancy, and they'll say something along the lines of, yeah, just the physical environment wasn't quite right. And I had to, you know, exit and so that I could try again. Right. So it's like sometimes it's very matter of fact like that, where it's just like, you know, all the ingredients that are needed to create and hold and carry a healthy pregnancy just weren't in place at that moment in time. Um, but I'll be back and I'll try again. So in those cases, a lot of those energies are just coming right back. Uh, some most of the time in the following pregnancy um and usually for most people not all people but usually that next pregnancy will they'll carry fully to term and and have a healthy baby at the end of it not all the time but 
a lot of times you'll see that. And, you know, other times when you're working with a soul and there's more of kind of maybe a spiritual connotation can be a bit more complicated where, you know, sometimes the miscarriage is actually meant to create or crack open something new in the mother or to create a new level of sort of, um, you know, spiritual initiation or to heal an, a layer of, of, of pain or of trauma that the mother was previously not able to feel or to see. I mean, there are literally so many different variables. I could never give them all. I could I, like thousands upon thousands and thousands. And again, like I said, it's never the same. I'll talk to two women who look on paper the exact same. I had a miscarriage at seven weeks. I had a miscarriage at seven weeks. Doctor said everything was fine. You start to tune in and you work with the energy of the soul. And the spiritual reasonings for both of those losses are so wildly different. You wouldn't even know that on paper, technically everything was same or similar. So. I really think it, it it's so individual. It's so person to person. Um, there are some, you know, uh, reasons that I guess could be a bit more universal than others, but, it, but even still it's so personal. And so, you know, one of the things that I really encourage mothers or people to do when they have experiences like you, Jeanette, such as a miscarriage or an ectopic pregnancy is to hopefully already have some uh, foundation of preconception communication or kind of intuitive communication where, you know, we kind of understand how um, that works, how to communicate, how to initiate communication with non-physical energies such as spirit babies and be able to kind of go into inquiry around, okay, what, what happened there and and what can I learn from this experience and um, you know what do I need to know or whatever the case may be or you know help, getting help from a trusted practitioner um, who specializes in working with these kinds of things and I teach all these kinds of techniques and things like that that you can use in your book how to communicate how to initiate communication in my book did I say in your book in your book in my book it's the, <laughs> maybe you're writing a book um too uh so so that's that's what I would say and to, to answer I think I or probably already answered this but to answer the second part of your question which is uh you know are these technically like let's say you had a, a miscarriage and um and would this be your daughter coming back uh, I think, again, it depends on the situation for person to person. Um, but I would say it, it's changing. It changes because at the beginning of my practice, I would say that it was probably a little less likely that losses would were the same energies coming back and again and again. But over the last couple of years, I've noticed that more souls are saying, yep, that was me and I'm coming back again. Yep, that was me and I'm coming back again. It's becoming a bit more um, common at this point in time. So again, it's hard to say because it's so individual, but I'm curious what you feel. Like, do you feel that that one of your losses or um, your, you know, your miscarriage or ectopic pregnancy was your your daughter now? Ooh, that's a hard question. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly have no clue. Like, I, I feel like I'm very intuitive, but I... I have no idea. Yeah. You could ask her too. That's something fun you can do too. Sometimes I'll encourage parents to ask their children, especially if they're at speaking age and they're starting to be able to communicate and articulate themselves. You could say, you know, when mommy and daddy were trying to bring you into the world, um, you know, and you can explain mommy got pregnant, but then that pregnancy went away. And was that, and you know, was that you? And then I had another pregnancy and then that was you. Was that, did you try and come with the first set? Like you can kind of like try and explain it a little bit and see what she says. And a lot of children have very interesting things to say about that. Oh, they, yes. I for sure believe like she, this is not her first time. 
on earth because like things she's told me where she's like when I was a big kid and you were small so I feel like we've been like family before in some way I don't know does that sound (laughs) oh absolutely I actually just taught a workshop on this around like how to um how to engage with your children when they're bringing up memories of past life experiences and um yeah that's a very common one exactly that's like textbook past life recall when I was big and you were small or when I was in an adult body and you were in a baby's body or when I was your grandma and you were my dad or whatever um you know like they'll they'll kind of start to acknowledge the role reversal and how like hey I was big before this and you were the small one right um so very cool definitely I can give you my oh I'll send you my prompts for how to engage with a child when they're having past life recall um because it can be really enlightening really fun oh yeah um Yeah, that'd be really fun to do with her. Yeah. Um, okay, so you also speak about harmony between partners as a reason for maybe difficulty conceiving. What yeah. are your thoughts on the reason a child might be brought into a family where there really is no harmony? Like I know so many friends who yeah. came up in a household where there was no affection or no love or anything mm-hmm. like that. Great question. I feel that that has um, really changed. That the the the. Uh, Conditions for for a lot of incoming souls before, you know, like, let's say if you were born in the, I don't know, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, that the sort of the conditions for coming in were maybe a little bit different, not maybe, they were a little bit different than they are now. And a lot of us, you know, I believe that, I believe I talk about this in the book, that there's these certain things called like waves of souls. And I really believe that the millennial generation or the Pluto and Scorpio generation, which I'm sure if you know, if you know astrology, you know about that. I think that's like, I don't know, any from, I think it was maybe like 1980 something to 1995 or something like that, Pluto and Scorpio, where we have these kind of generational waves of energies. And the Pluto and Scorpio generation definitely came into families maybe that were not always easy and challenging and there was challenging parental dynamics or challenging dynamics with siblings or there wasn't a lot of love and affection or there was actual downright abusive you know kind of um behavior in the in the home and i really feel that for some of us we came in to um kind of face that and to 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 move through that and to um kind of really rise from the ashes of those experiences in true Scorpio fashion. Uh, and that is maybe not the case for 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 what these energies are coming in looking for today. They're not interested in coming into families where they have to, you know, for lack of a better term, fight for their lives. They're not interested in coming into families where they know that they're going to be inundated with different sorts of traumatic experiences or, you know, um, things that they're going to have to heal from later. They are looking to come into these family experiences. Most of them, some of them are still looking for niche, different kind of life experiences, but most of them are looking to come into really grounded, regulated, um, uh, heart-centered family units for the most part that are going to support them in their journey on earth and in their evolution. And so I think it's just really different based on what the energies kind of coming in are looking for, which can sometimes be hard to understand for people, especially if they had very traumatic or abusive childhoods. It's like, why would I, you know, that's a question I hear from people, like, why would I choose this? This makes no sense. And I think from the human perspective, yeah, true. It really does. Looking at, you know, some horrific experiences that people have had to endure within their own families on planet Earth or their, you know, their caregivers or whoever, 
it's like, why would I ever want to go through that? And then the soul kind of, you, you have to kind of go beyond the physical perspective there because from the physical perspective, it can really make no sense <laughs> sometimes. I mean, you can kind of maybe glean some things, but it really only makes sense kind of through the eyes of the soul. Uh, that's that how that might have served us as a soul coming into that specific experience. So I think it really, again, just depends on the energy and what they're looking for. But I find that now, especially, you know, from the turn of the century and in, in 2000 and, and forward, and most definitely from about 2018 onward, um, there's a different kind of, um, it's almost like these energies are, they're kind of almost like, pull your pants up. Like, let we need, I need you to, to, to be this kind of parent for me. Um, this is this is the sort of parent that I need. And so many parents are going through very, very supremely intense spiritual initiations before they even, um, you know, conceive their children. And that's of the, that's by design. That's that's happening by design. And that makes a lot of sense because a lot of those people born between those years you were speaking of the mm -hmm. 80s through the mid 90s are people who come to me and are like, I want to break chains and like right. I want to do better. And that makes so much sense for the people who are coming in now. Exactly. Um, right. Because okay. then the, right, the Pluto and Scorpio generation, we are really the one, I mean, not not just us, like Pluto and Sagittarius mm -hmm. too, for sure, but we're the ones raising these children right now. Right. And we're the ones, um, to, you know, yeah, breaking the generational patterns and the, everything. So exactly. You got it right. It all yeah. makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what would you say to a woman who is at the beginning stages of thinking of pregnancy? What would you tell her is like the most important thing to do to prepare herself best? Yeah, I would say uh, it's so hard. One thing I, I'm going to say two things just because I can't narrow it down. The first thing is to really explore her relationship with her body's wisdom and the wisdom of her intuitive perception uh, and exploring that first before even thinking about conception or pregnancy or having children or what they want that to look like. I think that um, doing some form of uh, real exploration of intuitive development before conception is just going to guide you so much more on your journey where you're so much more in tune with your body and your cycles and what your body actually needs and what your body don't, doesn't need and what you know, the timing of your body and the timing of your, the energy of your baby and when they want to come in and all these things, there's so much that I really feel is led by in, intuition. Um, and when we can really work on that before we're even starting to think about getting pregnant, it serves us so, so much in the long run, not to mention actually raising these children too. I mean, it serves that process exponentially as well. So that's the first thing I would say. And then I think the other thing is, you know, and maybe this is kind of born from that is to start opening up a relation of what I call preconception communication, which is this is when you're actually kind of intentionally looking to create and foster and nurture a relationship with the energy energies your children before they incarnate before they before they come here um and that just enriches i mean i i could say so many things about how enriching that is all all across the spectrum for both you know conception for pregnancy during the birth process so much during the birth process through the newborn phase you know through the entire um process of this child growing up i mean it serves everything and so i give lots of kind of tips on how what how to actually go into preconception communication in my book too so if anybody who's curious can check it out there awesome and i have a similar question but for people who are currently pregnant mm -hmm. what would you suggest for them 
Yeah, more of the same. It, you know, I think that that's the thing is like we can communicate with our children while they're in utero, just as we did beforehand. Um, now, what's interesting is some people come to me and be like, I had such a great relationship with my spirit babies before I got pregnant and they were talking, we were, had this great, you know, back and forth and I was getting signs from them all the time. And now I'm pregnant. I can't hear anything. And that's actually very common um, because it's really like, you know, in the preparation process, the energy of this child is sort of like, they're all in, like they're really building this and they want to be close to you and they want to get to know you and they want to, you know, give you all these signs and symbols and affirmations of their presence. And sometimes when conception happens, they're kind of like, okay, the contract is good. We're done. Now I just got to kind of wait it out for nine months until I get to meet my parents, you know? And so the communication can go a little bit silent um, for some people, other people, they find that it's like, it increases even more, but just knowing that you can talk to your baby um, you know, just even like sending them thoughts, like something that I suggest to mothers is like to have their hands on their belly and to hold a thought in their mind and to picture like they're pushing that thought downwards into the center of their belly. And that, that, that energy of your baby is receiving that thought or that intention or that, you know, love or whatever it is that you were sending to them. It really can be that easy. And then once you get more practice and how to receive, you can actually receive their impressions, their thoughts, their things and things that they have to say back through your kind of intuitive channels. I love that. Yeah. So magical. Um, are there impacts you think that a complex birth can have on a child's soul or on their mother? Is mm. there for you, I guess, do you think there's a reason for a baby to have a harder journey earth side? Mm, this is such a complex question, such a nuanced question, because here's the thing. I believe that yes, to answer your question in very short form, yes, there is reasons why a child may choose to have a complex birth definitely for sure or why a mother may choose in her, her own soul contract to have a difficult um, or challenging birth with their child however i feel that that's in in, in our current kind of a birthing system that those experiences are in the minority that a lot of these complex birth experiences that mothers and babies are having are actually kind of being caused by the system that we are choosing to birth within. That there's a lot of rotten, sort of twisty, not very good uh, practices and structures that exist within this system. And that sometimes those are not, sometimes those are actually creating these complex birth experiences, but it's almost sort of like, we, we're not able to maybe recognize that because we're sort of like, oh, these doctors or nurses saved my life and they saved my baby's life. But then you actually realize they may have actually created the problem that they needed to save you from in the first place. So it's kind of complex. Um, but I think definitely to answer your question, for some mothers and babies, they do choose that path. And it is actually important for them to have sort of a um, a bonding experience from the very first moment of, of, of the baby's life and that very first initiation into motherhood or, you know, another initiation into motherhood for the mother um, that is important for their soul growth in one way or another, for sure. But I think it's important to make that distinction that some yes, and also some are maybe being actually caused by the very system that is, you know, supposed to help us bring our babies into the world safely. Um, so it's something to think about. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, okay, personal question. I have a three-year-old yeah. and three-year-olds are notorious for not wanting to sleep in their own rooms. So my daughter will often say her room is spooky or there's like something scary in it or there's like a zombie. And I'm like, positive there's no zombie, but is there merit to that? Or do you think a lot of this is just ploys to get into somebody else's room? <laughs> yeah, great, great, good question. Uh, you know, and I get it because I was that three-year-old that never wanted to sleep in my room a single second of the day ever. I was like, get me out of here. I do not want to be in here. And, you know, I was a sensitive kid. And so I, I get it. And I can kind of really empathize with a lot of children because we come in and we're so sensitive, but we often don't really know how to articulate ourselves very well. We're feeling all these things and we're seeing things that other people can't see and we're feeling subtle energies. And it's sort of like, how do I communicate this to other people? And it can be really, I remember it and it can be really difficult. And so I think that, you know, I'm of the uh, the perspective, and this is probably born a lot from my own experiences as being a very sensitive child, that there's so many times when I was trying to express my experience, like there's an old man wearing a top hat in the corner of my room, but I didn't know how to say that. You know, I didn't know how to like actually have the language to properly like articulate that. And so I would say something like, there's a scary old man you know, or whatever, or there's a man there, you know, or I didn't know how to like articulate myself. And so I'm of the perspective that for the most part, not always, like not always, you know, because there are some things that children say that you're just like, okay, okay. Uh, but for the most part, when children are saying something, or they're saying something is scary or spooky, or there's, this, you know, whatever happening, that they're just trying to articulate something that they don't really know how to put words to. Um, and sometimes it's not actually that there is a ghost or a zombie or whatever. It's just that they feel very kind of vulnerable and temporarily unsafe and they're looking for ways to regulate. Um, but I will also say that it never hurts to have just um, like beautiful things, especially in a sensitive child's room that will help them feel more grounded and safe there. So like I recommend, you know, having a little bowl of salt water underneath um, a child's bed. That's just going to kind of absorb any sort of strange energy. I recommend doing a little energy cleanse in the child's room every, you know, couple of weeks or so uh, with some, you know, some cleansing uh, herbs that you can burn or incense that you can burn. Or I recommend um, playing really high frequency music in the child's room during the day when they're not in there so that when they come into the room at night, it's charged with this really beautiful high frequency energy and they feel safe when they come in there. Um, I recommend having crystals that they can hold on to while that they while they sleep and you give them give it to them and be like, this is your protection stone. This is going to keep you safe from all of the things that you know are might be out there. It's just gonna, it's your, it's gonna keep you sleep, keep you you safe as you sleep. So that's another thing that I recommend. Um I recommend what else? Um having, you know, just like just little things in the room that can kind of ground them and are going to sort of modulate and regulate maybe some of this, the, the energy that they're feeling that they don't always know how to articulate. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. And I love all of that. Um, okay. I definitely have done a lot of the crystals and the, the saging and like Luna will straight up be like, this room needs to be saged. And I'm like, yes, it does. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> she knows, right? She can feel it. She's like, ah, something, the vibes are off. She's like, the vibes are off. <laughs> We were at my parents' house and my mom was like in a mood and she's like, you need a crystal. <laughs> That's so cute. Oh my God. I love it. That's amazing. Your mom's like, okay. 
uh that's incredible right and it's like they know they start to pick up on it right where it's like okay yeah they they start to recognize oh this is what a room feels like when it's clean the energy is clean this is what a room feels like when the energy is not clean or like this is what somebody feels like when they're emotionally unregulated this is what somebody feels like when they're regulated and so I think they they know a lot like they really are so smart um and I think it's just like uh they go will go go through these little phases I definitely think you're right like three years old is definitely like you know, they're, they're discovering a lot about themselves and their energy and their independence and their autonomy and getting what they want and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, um, I would say to, yeah, and you, and you know, you just coming back to our previous conversation as well, just around like the past life recall thing is that you can also, um, go into, to, to like, to prompt kind of open-ended prompts of dialogue of sort of like, okay, tell me more about like the zombie, like, what does he look like? Well, he's green and he has like really scary red eyes. Okay. And does he just stand there or does he move around the room? Well, he just stands there or, okay. And if you ask him to go away, what does he do? Well, he goes away. Oh, great. Okay. Amazing. Like to almost kind of like treat it as if, even if we're kind of like, there's no zombie to kind of almost be like, okay, let's talk to the zombie. What does he want? Like, you know, what does he want? If we tell him to go away, does he go away? Yeah, he did go away. Perfect. So you can, and then you're kind of empowering or empowering our children to sort of be like, that they can, um, if there's an energy they don't like, that they can either tell it to go away or go into dialogue with it to figure out what it wants or this sort of thing. And even, you know, if that's zombie or whatever she's trying to experience, whatever that is, it, we can teach her to kind of go, hey, you can tell that to go away. It doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't belong in your space. You deserve to have a safe space when you sleep. And here's how we can do that, basically. That makes so much sense. And I love yeah. all of that. <laughs> okay. okay, so... Sometimes when I do astrology readings, I will see overlap in the big three for parents and spouses and their children. Mm. On your end, do you often see some type of similarity in the spirit baby's personalities and their parents? Or do you often see like the vice versa of that, of like oddly mm. different personalities that are there to like figure each other out? Oh, so such a good question. Well, for I'm curious, first of all, do you have similarities with your daughter or your husband? Tell me, I want to hear yes. them. Okay, so I'm a Leo sun, Virgo rising, Gemini moon. My daughter's a Gemini sun. Okay, yeah. And my husband's a Virgo sun. Okay, interesting. So cool. And, and, your, and your daughter is, she's a Gemini sun. What's her moon sign? She's, um, she's a rising Aquarius Leo sun. Leo. Le oh, sorry, Leo sun. Oh, sorry, Leo moon, Leo moon. Sorry. Leo moon. Okay. Okay. I got Gemini yeah. sun, Leo moon, Aquarius. Wow. Aquarius okay. Rising. Amazing. Yeah, definitely. I definitely see this overlap and it's very common. A lot of the time is like in the, like the, one of the parents sun sign is the child's like moon arising more specifically the moon, especially if it's the mother. Uh, I do see that a lot. Um, and I think it just, it just really depends on, I think, you know, even coming back to what you were saying earlier about your daughter saying like, I was the big kid and you were the little kid. I mean, it's definitely very clear that you've had some sort of other experience together in other bodies. And so I find it's more common when, um, to see that kind of those connections of sort of like, okay, this, the sun sign and the moon sign match or the rising sign and the mercury sign are the same or whatever. Uh, when this, this is a, this is an energy who, or your energies who have kind of been traveling in the same soul pack for a long time for, you know, millennia or however long, 
I think it's different when the energies coming in are like these kind of new energies that have never been with it, that have never incarnated within a family structure before. So we've never been with them before. This is a totally new soul who's never been within our family structure before where the chart will be different. Maybe there's actually like totally polar opposite between the parents where you're like, where is this little like energy? Or some parents will sometimes say to me, like, I have a really hard time with the, the archetype of Aquarius. And then I have this child who's like an Aquarius stellium, you know, like, and they're like, where did this child come from? Right. And, and, and it is, is that there's this kind of new energy being dropped into the family structure, into the family system to kind of bring a new fresh energy to bring something different. So I think it, it, it it's, it's fascinating. And I would love to be able to study it more and kind of, um, look at the correlations more i just don't always remember to ask people in the, for their children's birth info which i should probably start doing because i could probably start a cool like you know research experiment with that but um definitely you know i'll see that happen quite a bit for energies who are traveling within the same soul group where there are those connections or like you know a family full of leos or a family full like it's like or i have um a client of mine who both of her children were are Tauruses born within a day of each other. Like one's like April 25th, one's April 26th, right? That's a perfect example of like two energies who were like, we're pretty much the same. We're not going to be twins, but we're going to come in in the same sun sign. You know what I mean? So, um, and then, um, and then, uh, you know, two fights, like they had a fire sign parent and an air sign parent and these two little earth sign children. And anyway, so it's definitely, I love it. It's really fun to uh, for me to like observe these connections as well, and um, I just don't have enough like hard data to be able to tell you like this is how it works every time. But maybe I this is my sign to look into that more. Maybe. Yeah. Um, going off of that question, I guess is a child's personality built out before they get here, or do you think that's something that evolutionizes as they are here and they experience this Earth? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Good question. I think they have an idea of their personality, the design of their personality. Um, they have an idea of how that will look. But I think that it's, and even if we're just using the astrology example, I mean, uh, I'm a Gemini moon too, by the way. So we're both Gemini moons. And, uh, you know, but I'm sure that we would relate to being Gemini moons slightly differently, because we're different people with different, different upbringings and different um uh, you know, childhood experiences and different adult life experiences and all these things. And so I think it's just based on how it kind of like manifests for that person based on. So I think it is like, you know, uh, if we're using the distinction of like nature versus nurture, I think it's like a little bit of both. It's they have an idea of the kind of the energy, the personality that they are. Um, I also think that there's like the soul essence and then there's the personality that we take on in all of our different lifetimes, which can there can be like a subtle or um, a subtle undercurrent of similarity. But I also think it can be different from life experience to life experience based on the culture, based on the family, based on the geographical location, based on a variety of different things, the personality can kind of manifest differently. So I think it's very, um, personality is kind of like a very um, slippery thing. Like it's, it's a slippery thing. It's kind of abstract. It's hard to define. Um, but I, but I, I get your question and I think it is a little bit of both. I think it is that there, there, there's some part of their choosing the personality. And I think a, a, another part of it is how it manifests depends on some of the free will factors that might come into play once they get here. That makes a lot of sense. My yeah. brain is thinking of it as like the kid comes in with the ingredients for the cake, but mm -hmm 
we don't know how long the cake's going to cook for or if the cake's going to yeah. cook in the microwave or in the oven. This is such yep. a bad analogy, actually. Scratch that. That's just good. That's good. I get you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Fantastic. I'm with you. <laughs> um, so aside from the book and the baby mediumship you do, you also do intuitive mentorships. Mm -hmm. So I truly believe everyone has intuition, right? Like everyone can read tarot. Everyone can benefit from astrology. But do you believe that everyone has the ability to be a medium? I do. I do. I do. I believe that I, I, my one like caveat would be that I think that some people come in with maybe a little bit more um, natural kind of inclination towards mediumship in one way or another. But I believe that it's something that with practice and with, um, you know, targeted sort of support can be something that people open themselves up to and know how to work with if not on behalf of other people at the very least for themselves um you know working with their own ancestors and working with their own spirit guides and children and what have you um some people just do have that kind of soul contract kind of energy of like i came in to use this channel to support other people in one way or another um, but i do i fundamentally do believe that everybody can um can access different forms of mediumship abilities. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. So what does intuitive mentorship with you look like? What can someone expect if they went that route with you? Mm -hmm. So I believe that um, I, I don't, and I never have believed in any kind of one size fits all programming. I think that we're bio individuals, we're energetically unique individuals and we all have individual and unique soul contracts and gifts and so it's um I'm really I'm really big on meeting people when they're coming in to, or they're interested in intuitive mentorship where they're at what have their experience intuitive experiences been like through their life thus far where do they feel scared of their intuitive abilities in one way or another there usually is always some element of like I'm scared of what's going to happen if I open up um, where do they feel like they are blocking themselves or where do they feel blocked? Like I can't see, or I can't feel, or maybe I'll start to feel, but then it goes away or this sort of thing, or I don't trust myself or whatever the case may be. So I like to gather just information on like where that individual has been and also where they want to go. Where do they want to take their abilities? They just want to feel more empowered and more alive and more connected as they move through their everyday life? Do they want to support other people? Do they want to start a business? Do they want to do readings? Do they want to incorporate their abilities into what they're already doing? You know, I've worked with lots of lawyers and doctors and nurses and all these people who are effortlessly weaving their abilities into their practice, supporting the people that they're supporting, which we need that. We need people using their intuitive abilities in the regular world. You know, we're moving through that. We need very attuned doctors and nurses and lawyers we need these people so i kind of am gauging all of that data and then basically i'm i'm crafting the um what we're doing based on what the person is looking for and what they're needing and there's some things that are foundational you know i teach people how to actually discern and understand how their abilities are working for them. I call it the psychic mechanism. How is your individual unique psychic mechanism working? I think about it like an engine of a car and all engines of the car mostly look the same, but a lot of the times they don't work the same way. And if we took 
three different engines apart, we would find that on the outside, while they may look similar, they're not at all working the same way. That there's, you know, I don't know anything about car engines, so this is a bad analogy, but, you know, they're not at all working the same way. And when we can understand really how something is working fundamentally and foundationally, then we can feel like we are more, quote unquote, in control of it. Because that's the thing, if a lot of people just don't understand how their intuition is working, it feels like inconsistent or it feels fleeting or it feels kind of spotty or it feels like they don't know how to trust if it's going to be accurate or blah 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 and when we can really understand how it's working then it unlocks so much more i teach people how to tune in to different things for themselves how to tune into their bodies how to tune into the energy of planet earth how to tune into the energy of a tv show how to tune into the energy of the food that they're eating um, and then that basically kind of opens up for anything else that that person is looking to explore. Some people want to explore tuning into Akashic Records or mediumship or spirit guides or spirit babies. And then we kind of just work with them from there. So um, it's it's very individual based on what each person is needing. And um, probably like, you know, I know a lot of people who like make these programs and then they go through the same program every time with people. And I, it's way more work for me but it's okay because it's it's worth it because you're getting to see these people um actually get what they actually need and do the practices and exercises that are actually serving their individual experience that makes a lot of sense mm -hmm. and it's good to know it's not just a pdf copy paste right video that yeah. everyone else gets so I like yes that. yeah um, so what offerings do you currently have for people? Are you currently seeing people for media mentorships? Are you doing intuitive mentorships right now? How can people book with you, I guess? Yeah, so I'm definitely doing um, intuitive mentorships right now. And I kind of call it like that's sort of like an umbrella term because mm -hmm. it, it it's people can come in and they're like, I want to work with medical intuition or I want to work with mediumship or I want to work with you know, something very niche and very specific. And so it's just kind of like an umbrella term. I can really um, support people wherever they're at in, in whatever phase of, you know, spiritual curiosity or spiritual development curiosity that they're at. So I'm definitely doing that. I'm doing some readings here and there. Um, although just the, the uh, velocity and the, um, the amount of people wanting readings has just far surpassed anything that's ever going to be possible for me to <laughs> attend to in this lifetime. Um, so I'm doing just periodically opening a handful of readings for people who are interested and, um, you know, have the have the book, which is great resource. And I do I'm working actually, actually, I'm working right now on a course for um, all things like spirit babies, preconception, how to communicate, all that kind of good stuff, everything that you could ever want. Um, to support you on that journey so that'll be probably sometime in the next i don't know six to eight months or so that'll come out so yeah those are a few different things that i'm up to fantastic so yeah. last question where can people connect with you and where can they get your book at yeah so um they can connect with me at emily the medium on instagram i'm also my website's also emilythemedium.com lots of different resources on there i also have a great team of um, people who have gone through intuitive mentorship with me who offer services listed on there who are offering various different kinds of readings 
um, they're helping me keep up with the with the sheer amount of people that I cannot possibly um, get to all of them. So that's been wonderful. Um, pretty much everywhere, if you search Emily the Medium, I have a, a podcast that I haven't been active on in a few years, but there's some good kind of archived content on there. I hope to bring that back at some point. Um, and the website, I think I mentioned that. And then as far as the book, um, right now it's available on Amazon. And it's also available uh, through me directly at my author website, which is emilytheauthor.com. Um, so you can also get a copy of the book through there and I'll sign it for you um, if you get it through there. So those are the two places you can get the book. And I'm working right now, I have been working on getting the book into some bookstores across North America. So um, that'll be available hopefully soon too. Exciting. Okay. Yeah. I lied. I actually have five last like fun questions. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Love it. So what do you do when you're not having a great day to turn that around? Oh, I get outside. Um, I find a place to put my feet in the grass or the earth, no matter what the season is. I do Kundalini yoga. That's my tool of choice. Um, I love to do different Kundalini yoga kriyas or breath work. Um, drink lots of water. I breathe. I think you already said that. I listen to mantra music, um, but mostly I think just like going outside. I mean, it just changes the whole, I get off my screens and I go outside. Let's say like that. I love it. What's the last thing that made you laugh? Oh, oh, good question. Oh, there was something this morning that made me laugh. Hold on. I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, oh, it's totally, it's one of those things that like made me laugh so hard. Why is it not sticking in my memory? Okay. I'll, I'll skip. What, what happened? What made me laugh yesterday? Um, Man, why is this so hard to remember? I'm usually laughing a lot all the time. Like there's kind of like a constant laughter throughout my life. So I'm like to think of like one moment is kind of hard. Um, okay, I'm going back a few days in the past. See if I can remember something a few days ago. You know what? I think it was like, it was a, oh, I remember what it, I remember what it was. Um, it was this video that my husband sent me and it was like something along the lines of like marriage is just asking each other, what do you want for dinner every day for the rest of your life? I was like, yeah, that's true. We do that. Um, so that made me laugh because it's always just like every day, every day. It's like, why is the, the, the mental load of what we're going to have for dinner so great? It's always, it's a thing. Yeah, that's what made me laugh last. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. What is your beverage of choice right now? Oh, um, I am really into ginger tea um, right now. I can't get enough of it. I'm drinking like three or four cups a day of ginger tea right now. There's just something about it. It's spicy. It's warming. It's perfect right now for the season. Yeah. It's very seasonally appropriate beverage. Yes. Yeah, it is. What is your favorite smell? Mm. Oh, you know what? In my favorite smell, and I just smelt it actually earlier before I came on this podcast, is in, it happens a lot in the summer, but it's been surprisingly happening when I've gone outside in the last few days, is when the sun is hot enough, there's this one specific pine tree in my backyard and the sun heats the sap in the pine needles just enough. And it creates this like beautiful, piney, earthy, woodsy smell. Um, it's my favorite smell. And I will go find that pine tree in my backyard just to be able to smell that smell. It's the best. I love it. Yeah. Last one. What is your go-to mantra right now? Uh, um, my go-to mantra right now is keep up and you will be kept up. 
and this is a, a mantra in the in the um the lineage of yoga that i that i'm interested in and it's basically like keep you know keep going <laughs> keep going no matter what um keep forging forward and you'll continue to be supported as you do so i love it well yeah. thank you so much emily that was so thank much fun you. i learned so much from you thank you yeah. jeanette this is beautiful i love this interview thank you for asking such amazing questions it was so much fun and uh i appreciate i appreciate it and can't wait to connect more with you and your audience thank you for having me thank you and there we have it, folks. There was the interview with Emily the Medium. If you have not read her book, you should absolutely read it. I will be linking it all in the show notes. Um, next week's episode will be an interview with Kate from Crispy Aura Studio. It's a tattoo studio here in Chicago that focuses on fine line tattoos. And I'm super, super excited about that one. And the quote I'm leaving you off with today is, I would rather sit on a pumpkin and have it all to myself than be crowded on a velvet cushion. And this was said by Henry David Thoreau. I don't know why I picked this quote. I just thought it was funny and also funny that he would rather sit on a pumpkin and it's also fall. Um, so there's my ramble on that quote. With that being said, have a beautiful, magical, wonderful week and always remember to look within. Thank you.